Go with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to fly through this. Some of you panic just now. Don't worry, we're going to fly through it. Hold on. Hey, if, if your uh, roast is going to burn, this message isn't for you anyway. So, Jonah chapter 1. The title of this message is Jehovah or Jonah, which do you resemble? Jehovah or Jonah, which do you resemble? If we could get the message image, the, the map put up there, folks, and we can leave it up there the entirety of the service, that'll be good. Thank you so much, guys. Jehovah or uh, Jehovah? Whew. Jehovah or Jonah? That's an interesting name. I named my fifth kid that. Jehovah. Jehovah or Jonah? Which do you resemble? Sorry. We're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to look differently at this probably than you've ever heard. We're going to take a deep dive into what the author's actually trying to communicate here. When you hear the book of Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just yell it out. You're Pentecostal, you can do that. You're not in a Methodist church this morning. The whale, right? The whale. Is there something else? Running away. Jonah's disobedience. Exactly. But here's what's interesting. I could remove the story of Jonah. I'm not doing that. Don't stone me. I'm not a blasphemer. I could remove the story of the whale, let me put it that way, completely from this story, and you wouldn't lose the theme at all. You know what's interesting to me? Let me ask another question. Who is the rock star? Who is the central figure in every book of the Bible? God right? It's all about God. But for some reason, when we get to the book of Jonah, we replace God as the central figure with Jonah. And all of a sudden, the only things that we remember about Jonah, listen, this isn't your fault per se, but let me, can I just blame it on the pastors that we grew up with? <laughs> Again, we're not live. Because we have a certain amount of biblical illiteracy in the church, right, that exists. And so when we get to the book of Jonah, we talk about Jonah, we talk about the whale, we talk about running from your calling, and none of that is the theme of Jonah. None of that. The book was not written for us to learn about running from our calling. It was written to learn about the heart of God. God has a missional heart. Jonah doesn't. You hearing me? And that's the purpose. So, Jonah, do we have any teachers in here? Any teachers? Wave at me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, any English teachers or literature teachers? Wave at me. Thank you. Give me good grades after this, please. Okay, so, what Jonah serves as in this is the foil to God, okay? He is the anti-figure to God. What is the purpose of that? We're going to hear a lot about Jonah, but it's not so he can replace God. It's so that we can see in the, the badness of Jonah, we see the goodness of God. We're going to learn more about our central figure by learning about the rottenness of Jonah, right? It's only going to elevate God in our eyes. In fact, Jonah confesses that numerous times throughout this book. Let's start in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Say against it. 
For their evil, say evil, has come up before me. Now listen, against it and evil, that sounds like negative verbiage, doesn't it? Sounds like judgment, doesn't it? Evil, cry out against it. Sounds like God is just ready to destroy. Here in Oklahoma, we have these interesting tall metallic structures out in the middle of nowhere. And when you see dark storm clouds roll in, right, they make obnoxiously loud sounds. What are those called? Tornado sirens, right? Now, what is the purpose of a tornado siren? Is it to celebrate your impending doom? Like, yeah, we're going to die today. Let's do this together. No, that's, that's stupidity, right? The purpose is to serve advance warning so that your life might be saved. The idea is mercy. Are you hearing me? Or parents. This is going to be fun. Parents, grandparents, if you are genuine Oki, at some point in your life, you looked at your kids and you said, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to whoop you. You did. Probably this morning before you came to church. We know who did now because you're laughing. But listen, here's the heart of a father and a mother. Did you have to warn them again? They've already broke your rules. They knew the rules, right? You could have taken your authority as mom, dad, grandparent, and you could have swatted them right then and there. Now, I don't know about you and your kids, but when I tell my kids I'm a whoop you, how do they respond? Do they, do they go like, oh, brother, sister, there's an opportunity for mercy. If your kids respond that way, come teach my kids. Because mine are full-on heathens. No, it sounds like this. You hate me. Why do you always want to spank me? Or in the middle of Walmart, you grab their hand. They're like, ow! And they make everybody think you're abusive, right? But in reality, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, the issue is you really want to see repentance. You don't want to punish. You want transformation. Your heart is not judgment. Your heart is mercy. So when we read this negative verbiage, let's not get lost in the weeds. Yes, it says, for their evil has come up before them and to call, for him and to call out against the city. But the reality is, God is sending someone... He is a tornado siren in the middle of Oklahoma. He is a southern grandma, grandpa, mom, dad who's desiring mercy over judgment. So he sins. Then we have the foil here. The one who's opposite of God. Verse 3, but Jonah. But Jonah said, uh-uh. Right? And he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that phrase, from the presence of the Lord? Hold on, it's going to be repeated. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. There's that phrase again. This is a literary device that the author is using 
to draw attention. He makes a sandwich. He says, from the presence of the Lord. Then he begins to say a few other things. And he concludes again, from the presence of the Lord. Back then in that day, they didn't have punctuation like we do. Right? So some of y'all be sending text messages with like 10 exclamation points to get your point across. That's just unnecessary. One does the job. Okay? Let me just tell you. But that's what you do when you want to get somebody's attention, right? You send an exclamation point. I am emphasizing something. They didn't have that. Exclamation points and all that jazz. They repeated. When they wanted to get your attention and they wanted to teach something, they repeated. Right? So it's a little more childish, but you can think about your children. They come up to you and they start repeating. Daddy, 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 daddy. You're like, what? But it worked. You answered them, right? So he's getting attention right here because he's wanting to teach something. But he says these words away from the presence of the Lord. So what is happening? What about the presence of the Lord? Here in a second, we're going to compare God with the other deities around him. Now, you see this big map, right? God called him to Nineveh. Instead, he went down to Joppa to go to Tarshish. Now, we can look at that and we can say he really wanted to run away. I mean, look how far he went. 550 versus 2,500. He really wanted to get away. That's true, but that's not the only purpose of showing these distances. And I'm going to bring it home. And like I said, we're going to fly through this because it's already 12.06 and I'm going to try to show mercy like Jesus, okay? Yes, he wanted to get away. But the reality is... The author is using this great expanse of distance from the far east to the far west to show that God is different than the other deities in that his sovereignty is not contained within a people group, within a nation, or within a certain territory. Because the other gods of this days, they were the gods of the Babylonians, the gods of the Chalcedonians, the gods of the this and the that, right? And those gods were limited to those people groups and the boundaries of that people group. That's why when they went to war, they carried their idols with them to, to, to fight against these foreign gods that they're about to enter into their land. But unlike those other deities... Jehovah's sovereignty is from the Far East to the Far West. Okay? So let's fast forward. Let's fast forward big time. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. You know he's running now. Jonah's running. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. You see that? Now we're introducing the other deities, okay? Each cried out to his God. Now, do we have any former military in here or current military, active service members or former service members? Hold your hand up. Hi, because I'm proud of you, and you should be too. On this 4th of July, can we tell them thank you real quick? My wife, myself, my children were forever indebted for your sacrifice. We get to do what we do for the Lord from a free nation because of you. But you guys know, as, as well as anybody, if not better, that port cities are represented, like Joppa, right, where they left from, are represented by a multitude of nationalities and languages. 
Because port cities have countries going and coming all the time. Now, in that day especially, that means that there were a lot of deities that were coming and going through those ports as well. So Jonah found himself in the middle of this ship with a whole bunch of idol worshipers who serve a whole bunch of foreign deities. And the ship begins to toss and turn. They all freak out and start calling out each to their own God. But check this out. Let's go back to verse four or 5. It says, The mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God. Period. Space mark. I want you to focus on that empty space there. It says, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. What is missing? That little space mark contains a lot more than you think. There was no response from their gods. They instantly began to take things into their own hands and hurl the cargo. Why was there no response other than the fact that God is the only real God, right? But why was there no response? Because look at this. When they pushed off from Joppa, when they left the land, when they left that comfort, they left the sovereign territory of their deities. And they were beyond the reach of their gods. They cried out, nothing. So they turned to Jonah. Let's fast forward. More than one verse this time, I'll be nice. Let's go down to verse 8. They come to Jonah. We've got the showdown now. Said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where does your country and of what people are you? Listen, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the middle of a ship and it's threatening to go down and I'm watching waves crash, crash over the bow of this ship, I don't think I would look at my next door neighbor and say, hey, buddy, I know we're about to die, but what do you do for a living? Where do you come from? I didn't see you at the barbecue last week. That's just not my line of thought, right? But remember what I said. There's a key to unlock what he's really asking. Deities or gods were tied to people groups and places. So now let's reread it. Jonah understood the question. It says, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? What do you think they're really asking? Which God did we make mad? Right? Jonah knew that. Look at how he answers. He understood. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. So he gave the, the outright answer first. And then he said, I fear Yahweh. I fear the Lord. You catch that? He's saying, I know what you're really asking, and it's Yahweh. He's different. And then he goes on to explain the difference. Look at this. He said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He said, the sovereign territory of my God is way beyond yours. Because not only God with me in Israel, he would have been with me in Nineveh. He was with me when I shoved off from Joppa. And now that we're in the midst of this big sea and your gods can't reach you, guess what? He created the sea that you're sinking in. Now what is the purpose of this? Is it just to say that God is sovereign 
over all the earth and everything within it. No, it's to say this. If God's sovereignty extends from sea to shining sea, then so does his salvation. And I'm going to challenge your American patriotism this, mor- patriotism this morning. Hang with me. I'm a conservative. For those of you that offends, forgive me. Talk to Jesus about it. I'm a conservative. I uh, love my country. Some of you more liberals, you love your country too. I'm stepping in a wormhole. I'm trying to back out, all right? So listen. The reality is we are kingdom before country. And even Jonah fell into that trap. He became kingdom, country before kingdom. And he said, I choose who deserves to hear the good news. But God's sovereignty wasn't just located in Israel. It was from sea to shining sea, from the heights to the depths, and everything in between. We don't get to choose who hears the good news. We don't get to choose who's worthy of that word because everyone was created in the image of God. Let's go to Jonah chapter 2 all the way down to verse 9. All the way down. This is Jonah. He's in the belly of the whale. God's having to teach him a lesson, right? At the end of verse 9, he makes this declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He took his spanking. Only for a minute, but he took his spanking. Before that, he was saying, hey, us four and no more, the frozen chosen. This message is for Israel. And Israel alone is not for those stinking Ninevites out there. You know the type of people they are. Oh, come on, somebody. But he confessed from the belly of a whale. God, your sovereignty reaches from the east to the west. You created the heavens and also the depths of the sea where I am right now. Still, your sovereignty is here. Therefore, your salvation is as well. And who am I to say who deserves to hear the good news? Salvation doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. Now we bring this in for a close. Let's go all the way over to chapter 4. Y'all thought I was going to go through chapter 3 too, didn't you? Scared you. Pastor's sitting there like, dude, I know you're Pentecostal, but come on. Chapter 4. God relented. He saved Nineveh. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Remember how we said we're going to use the badness, if you will? That's a terrible term. The badness, English teachers, forgive me, of Jonah to highlight the goodness of God. Here it is. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, here's what Jonah did, and I'm, I'm going to just talk from my heart now. I'm going to retell it Oki style. Jonah, even though he just confessed that salvation belongs to the Lord, he went out and he found him the tallest, nicest deer stand around. You're supposed to laugh at that one. So that he could watch Nineveh burn. He was in the belly of a whale and he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now here he is again saying, I think I'll hold out a little bit longer on my confession. Let me backpedal a little bit. Maybe God will change his mind and destroy them anyway. God's like, dude, for real? 
I mean, I just brought you out of a belly of a whale. Do we have to do this again? Some of you are laughing, but some of y'all are the same way. God caused this plant to grow up. He's in the heat, right? God caused this plant to grow up and give him shade. And Jonah settles in a little bit more. He's like, hey, I could do this for five more days at least now that I got shade. You know, this nice breeze coming out of the west. This is good. But the same God who caused the plant to grow sent a worm to eat it, kill it, and cause it to shrink and shrivel up. He started his hissy fit again. And God brought it home to this. And this is how we close. God was teaching him another object lesson. And it's what theologians call the Imago Day. He said, Jonah, you're really upset over this plant that you didn't put into the ground, that you didn't water, that you didn't cause to grow. Are you hearing me? He said, but I want you to take a look at that city from this perch at which you sit. Guess what? I did put them there. I did water them. I did give them growth. You are going to lament and show more remorse over a plant that has died than over the hundred plus thousand souls that reside in that city. All men and all women were created in the image of God, and they deserve to hear the opportunity. They deserve the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Him. Now, can I bring it home? Will you let me do that? You've laughed at me so far, but don't, don't turn on me now. We just exited a very particular month when the church showed its ugly head. You know what that month was? Pride Month. And we put some nasty things out on Facebook saying, I'm proud to be heterosexual. I'm proud to be straight. I'm proud of this and I'm proud of that. And, and we're trying to show this contrast between us and the world, but all we are is a staunch in the nostrils of those who've never heard the good news. Are you listening to me? You know what the Bible says brings people to repentance? It says the kindness of God leads to repentance. I'm not saying that I'm pro-LGBTQ. I'm pro the person who's LGBTQ. You can take that to the bank. But some of y'all forgot where God pulled you out of. God didn't pull you out of the goody two-shoes club when he found you. You say, oh, but Jared, I wasn't a drunkard. I grew up in church. You look at me and you look at me good. The Bible says if you have failed one commandment, you failed them all. Not a one of you was good, and I wasn't good. I told you I was filthy, and nobody expected me to be a missionary. And guess what? I wasn't a fornicator. But I wasn't a good kid either. None is good but God. All of us have chosen to go our own ways. But God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I don't care if you're gay, straight, 
by, trans, confused, lost. Jesus loves you. He died for you. You are created in his image and you deserve to hear the good news. That's what needs to be preached on Facebook. We, know we don't accept it because Jesus doesn't. But we don't hate because Jesus doesn't. Also, 9-11 brought out the worst in us because sometimes we're country before kingdom. And we make statements. Listen, my gut turned when I saw my fellow patriots falling from buildings. And I watched our soldiers march into war and lose their lives and moms and dads ready to receive not a human but a casket. But in our anger and in our our culture and our, our country first mindset, we made statements like, let's just nuke them, turn the sand into glass and let God deal with it. But yet here is Jonah doing the same thing and God says, you don't get it. Because he knows what it's like as he hung between two thieves. And they mocked him. And they sped upon him. And he looked down at a Roman soldier, the head of debauchery, if you knew anything about Roman soldiers and culture. And he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Salvation does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And everybody deserves the right to hear the good news. Now, don't get it twisted. The missionary did not come in and say that everyone is saved and everyone's accepted. Didn't say it, won't say it. So if you're going to go home and put that on Facebook, you can change that now. What I did say is, they were made in the image of God, and no amount of sin changes that. It's our duty to tell them the good news and watch the Holy Spirit transform them into what He originally created them for. You following? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Or you can close your head and bow your eyes, I don't care. This is a holy moment. Some of, you are, some of you are offended by me today. First of all, I ask your forgiveness. Secondly, I ask that you would hear the Spirit and not my voice. This is about making you in His image, not about making you angry. I'm going to ask that you would allow the Lord to search you right now. Of all these preconceived notions that we hold in our hearts maybe things we're not aware of there's some things I was prejudiced against that I never had any idea until the Holy Spirit began to turn and twist in my spirit some of you might be causing some turmoil within the body and you're hindering God's church from advancing when thousands and thousands and thousands have never even heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you take a second and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. This isn't about me. It's never been about me. It's about you. I exist for one purpose, and that's to carry out your mission in my life. 
Maybe you say, I've been a, a stench in the nostrils of my neighbors, of, the, of certain communities because of the things that I put out there that sound harsh and unloving and unkind and they don't demonstrate the best of the mercy of the Father. The desire for love and repentance. Listen, that doesn't mean acceptance. Would you take a second and reflect right now? Lord Jesus, transform us. God, you said that you are coming for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. These are spots and wrinkles. These are spots and wrinkles. Purify us as only your blood can do. Make us new. Lastly, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you feel the call to missions on your life, would you raise your hand quickly and put it down? 